This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Cam Speedy is an ecologist on the North Island of New Zealand. Cam Speedy is very involved in a foundation called the Seeker Foundation. New Zealand has an abundance of deer species. They have the Wapiti Foundation, which is Wapiti, or elk. I've got an elk herd that was donated by TDR, I believe, um, that they manage. And New Zealand is a unique ecosystem in that it requires a lot of management because mammalian species were not a part of their landscape. And so I wanted to have Cam on here specifically to give you an idea of the New Zealand lifestyle, hunting lifestyle, hunting culture, give you an idea of the New Zealand landscape, its wildlife history, and then allow Cam to specifically talk about the Seeker Foundation, where lo and behold, if you're an American hunter and you want to go hunt in New Zealand and want to undertake this amazing conservation adventure, get flown into the backcountry, go to a New Zealand hut, hunt in the morning, hunt in the afternoon, who knows what you're going to be getting in terms of a trophy seeker deer or some really fat hinds, seeker hinds, you can go do it. and. You don't have to pay anything, no tags, no licenses, no nothing. And you're actually going to be contributing to restoration and conservation on the New Zealand landscape. Enjoy this conversation. I'm a huge fan of Cam Speedy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years 
is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Typically happens in the beginning. What time is it? Nine in the morning? Uh, just before nine in the morning here, yeah, yeah. We're about to... Oh, look, this is... This is a gentlemanly time to podcast. Typically, when I'm podcasting with Australia or frickin' England or Zambia or Zimbabwe, I'm having to get up at like the crack ass of dawn at 4 a.m. or 4.30 in the morning. And uh, hey, this is a gentlemanly afternoon podcast. It's nice. a mid-morning podcast for you. Cool. So we're about yeah, to I'm in Memphis, guys. Tennessee, Cam. You're I'm Tennessee. in Memphis, Tennessee. Right. Okay. I've been in Mississippi for the last... Almost 20 years. Wow, cool. And we moved our family up here to Memphis, Tennessee to be closer to my, my wife's family so my boys can grow up with grandparents. Nice. And um, in this day and age, you can pretty much work from anywhere in the world. Sure. And uh, COVID has shown us that. And so we just decided let's let's make a move and let's have the boys grow up with grandparents, man. You nice. Know? Awesome. So for the listeners that can tell that... Um, uh, you have an accent, not as good as my accent, Cam Speedy. You know, South Africans. Would you agree South Africans are better than New Zealanders? I do like the South African No comment. Accent. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey, that sounds a bit strange over here too. <laughs> Cam Speedy, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast, man. It's been a long time coming and I've had you on my radar for quite some time. And then someone reached out to me and they're like, man... You haven't had Cam Speedy on yet. And I was like, nah, that's right. I haven't had him on yet. And uh, we definitely need to have him. So Cam Speedy, will you give a little introduction to who you are and where, you are, where you're hailing from? Okay, so I'm based in the central North Island of New Zealand, just at the bottom of Lake Topol. Um, those anglers that listen to your podcast will know the Tongariro River. Um my five acres of paradise backs on to the lower river. Uh, I moved here 36 odd years ago to go hunting and fishing, and I'm still here. So that's pretty cool. I'm very, very happy here living a simple life. Um, we, we grow and farm and hunt and gather as much of our kai, our food as we can. Um, I'm an ecologist by training and trade, uh, forest ecology. I went to university and, and studied ecology and wildlife management. I've just been privileged enough to live the dream all my working life. I'm nearly 60 years old, so I've been in this game for four decades, although I grew up as a little boy um, fascinated by nature. So it's been my calling really all, all my life. Ecology is, is my connection and in my happy space. So um, I work for a range of private landowners and agencies in the, in the ecology space, doing protected species work, native habitats work, forest restoration, pest management. Um, a lot of my clients have deer herds. Uh, and so I've, I've, I've got a strong interest in game management, effective, good quality deer management, actually. Um, a man by the name of Joe Hamilton, who many of your listeners will will know, had a huge influence on me when he came to New Zealand many years ago, and I've been a, a champion. Yeah, quality deer management guy. Yeah, I've been a champion of quality deer management ever since I I met Joe. Uh, I know Brian Murphy pretty well from from that space. So 
yeah, um, quality deer management, wildlife management, ecology is is my thing. Uh, I there's certainly a lot of rabbit holes that we will dive down. I can anticipate, but before we get going, what are the the river that's behind your house? What is it famous for? Is it famous for big brown trout or big? Well, what's it famous for? Uh, the Tongariro River is famous for its chrome bar, rainbow trout, uh, the huge runs in the winter. It does have a fabulous brown trout fishery as well. Um, so sort of fishing mm. dry flies and and large terrestrial patterns in the summertime for three, four, five kilo browns is, is also a big part of the, that fishery. But uh, Lake Topol produces tens of thousands of two kilo chrome bar rainbow trout every year and they come up the Tongariro wow. River to spawn and um, this year has been probably one of the best seasons in a generation so fabulous trout fishing so yeah very famous for its rainbow trout outstanding outstanding well I think one of the places that I want to start is maybe you know the questions of 10 tend to be a little thorny, but that's okay because hard-hitting discussions is what we're all about here. Um, you're an ecologist by training. You're an ecologist by your career, by your profession. New Zealand is an extremely unique ecosystem. It did not have any mammalian species in it, and now mammalian species are pervasive in the system, specifically animals that you know one could consider nuisance and pests and feral. And invasive. What's your take on it, Cam? Because naturally, you know, deer can be labelled both invasive and pest, but also are a fabulous game resource species. You know, where does Cam Speedy stand right now in that in that arena? Well, New Zealand's been thrown into ecological chaos for the past thousand years because of the arrival of man. Originally, the the Polynesian uh, migrated here from from Central Polynesia, the Māori culture. Uh, they brought dogs and Pacific rats, the kiori, with them. They had an effect on that ecology, changed that ecology. And then when my ancestors came from Europe and, and Britain, um, that just accelerated tenfold with you know, all sorts of other invasive species, not just um, mammals, but birds and plants and insects. So... New Zealand is going through a wrecking ball cascade of ecological change um, right now. It has been for the last thousand years, but particularly the last 200 years. Um, we've lost a lot of our amazing bird and lizard species because of predation from the likes of stoats and rats and cats. And um, But in terms of those larger browsers like deer and tar and chamois, my view is that New Zealand always had a forest herbivore predator system. Uh, it used to be our forests, uh, there were 13 species of large ratite bird, moa, they were called a moa. Um, they occupied all sorts of niches in our forest environment mm -hmm. as herbivores. They range from 20 kilos to 250 kilos. So, you know, ranging from a small goat to, to, to almost a wapiti scale biomass bird, uh, they had a profound influence on the forests and the vegetation here. And, and our vegetation started over millions of years to adapt to that. I'm not saying that deer have replaced more uh, because they're very different, but 
the point is, is that New Zealand forests, New Zealand vegetation has always had a, a plant herbivore predator system. It's different today. Interesting. Um, we've got different species in those different ecological roles. But um, what we've lost is when humans get involved and we start putting values on things, social, economic, cultural values, onto things we tend to wreck the balance in nature. Um, humans are so pervasive on planet Earth that when we impose ourselves on nature, on ecology, we have a profound effect. And, and, and what we've, what's happened in New Zealand is that we've lost the balance uh, in that plant herbivore predator system. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. fair to say that deer abundance in New Zealand in some places is, is really out of control. There are far too many deer. It has an mm -hmm. effect on the deer as well as the habitat. In some places, the deer are skinny and unproductive and, and really a lot of our management is becoming thinning to waste because the deer are in such poor condition and the forest is so damaged. So, you know, we've got to try and seek some balance mm -hmm. back. And, and so as an ecologist, I'm looking at the whole system. From a hunter's perspective, we've got to understand that the habitat is actually the foundation upon which everything sits. If we haven't got that rock solid, then we haven't got a hunting resource. 100%. So so actually, 100%. Um, you know, Aldo Leopold in his essay, Thinking Like a Mountain, so eloquently sort of references how um, deer herds and wolves and mountains have a very uh, intricate relationship. And when people, for whatever reason, social, economic cultural reasons start dicking around with that balance, then, you know, the mountains suffer and mountains can take <laughs> centuries to heal. Deer herds can heal very quickly, just a few seasons. Um, mountains, if we damage habitat on mountains, then those, those damaged states can, can last for a very long time, way beyond the human generation. So we have to take a longer term perspective on mm -hmm. getting our balance right. And so that's where ecology becomes really important. Agreed. Cam, do you think that there's a distinction? I always think of when I think of animals on the landscape that are technically not supposed to be there, especially looking at an Australian ecosystem and a New Zealand ecosystem specifically, there's almost a, a difference between what you just articulated, which is the deer species, the tar, the chamois. And yes, balance is required in those species, but you're not looking for eradication in those species because they provide so many other values to the system beyond, yes, functionality from a herbivore perspective, as you just mentioned, but there's also the hunting perspective, the economics, the recreation, the food, whatnot. But there's the other species, the wallabies, the stoats, the weasels, the cats, the rats, that you're almost after eradication. Do you feel the same way? Yep. Um, I'll start with the deer one. I don't believe eradication is a feasible option. Um, we have a lot of deer farms in New Zealand and, and they are the uh, source of revenue for a lot of families who, who are on the land. Uh, and while you've got deer behind wire, you're going to mm -hmm. have a constant reinvasion value. So um, we can't eradicate deer at the moment um, and nor do we want to. What They have a lot of value as a resource. Yeah, would we want to is the better question, right? They have Wouldn't a consequence. Want, a better question. They have a consequence. And the answer is no. And, but they also have a, immense value, both economically, socially, and culturally. 
and, and so I, mean, I feed my family on venison, you know, two or three nights a week. Um, there's a lot of families in New Zealand who do that, and the Seeker Foundation has put nearly 4,000 kilograms of wild venison mince through our local food banks through COVID to help families who are struggling. So, so you know, we're trying to emphasise the value of these game species to New Zealand uh, as a resource, but we have to understand that they also come at a consequence, so the balance has to be right. Eh? So it's, it's, it's hard to get that balance. When you look at stoats and rats, they are sentient beings and they have their own place in the world. But it is The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. In New Zealand, um, and the devastation that they've wrecked mm -hmm. on our native species, our, our ancient bird and lizard species that are found nowhere else on the globe. Um, and, and so New Zealand has a, a very ambitious vision of predator-free 2050, and that involves stoats and rats and possums. Uh, and whether that's achievable or not, I don't think it is without some new technology. Uh, but humans are very innovative creatures, and that technology may evolve in the next 30 years. But right now, we, we only have the tools to suppress um, those pest species because of the damage they do. They don't hold a lot of value. Um, and don't get me wrong, stoats are beautiful, magnificent creatures, but... Um, we don't need them here in New Zealand. They're just devastating our wildlife, our native wildlife. So mm -hmm. there's quite a mm -hmm. different value proposition between a stoat and a deer, you know, um, culturally, economically, yeah, and, and socially. Um, and, and so uh, I wrote an essay many years ago called Critters in the Grey, and it talked about the continuum between rats and stoats at one end um, and potentially, you know, Kaimanawa horses, Um at the other end where, you know, people love these wild brumbies running free and manes blowing in the wind in the Kaimanawa Tussock High Country, you know, so we have legislation that protects them, but they have a consequence as well. But there's a, co oh my gosh. a cultural value on that species, which means our legislation protects them. So, so there's a continuum of introduced species in New Zealand that have a, a different value proposition depending on how people see them. Um, and I would put mm. deer and tar and chamois more at the Kaimanawa horses end than the rats and stoats end. Mm -hmm. In the middle there, um, Robbie, we also have rainbow trout and brown trout. You know, they're an introduced species that have devastated our, our aquatic yep. ecosystems, you know. But we have legislation to protect trout in New Zealand because the cultural value proposition of those species, socially, economically, and culturally, is so profound, Yeah. So this is the human interplay mm -hmm. uh, on ecology when humans put a value judgment on ecology and we, we dictate how the ecology operates. What is, the, what is the sentiment in New Zealand, Cam, around the idea of deer, tar, chamois being that game species? I know New Zealand has a strong hunting heritage, 
um, maybe not a heritage, maybe that was the wrong term of art, a strong hunting culture today uh, because of its wide open public spaces and the, the proliferation of multiple game species that you can chase. What's the sentiment of the Christchurches of the world, the Aucklands of the world, when it comes to those animals and, and hunting those animals in New Zealand? So firstly, I'd say that New Zealand does have a rich culture, hunting heritage. Uh, there's a strong hunting culture, but that's based on 150 years of hunting here in New Zealand and my ancestors from Scotland hunting where they came from. So we do have a strong mm, makes sense. heritage. Māori culture, very strong um, pig hunting culture in the Māori communities, uh, but they're mm. also very good deer hunters mm. too. So there, there is a heritage and a culture. Um, everyone in New Zealand, that was maybe... a very nice. That was a very nice way of reprimanding me, Cam. Oh, hey, no, it's, <laughs> that's fine, bro. Um, everyone in New Zealand, whether they be urban or provincial, knows a uncle or a father or a brother or a son or a sister or a cousin who hunts, and everybody has access to free range wild venison and wild pork as a result of their hunting family. Uh, and, and that's hugely valued in, in all of the circles I operate. Everybody loves a backstrap being dropped off um, from the uncle who hunts or the, mm-hmm. the sister who hunts or you know, a couple of duck breasts or a nice big slab of Tongariro rainbow trout from the smoker. You know, everybody loves to receive mm-hmm. that koha, that gift. Um, and, and so there is a, a, a recognition of that heritage and that culture. In our legislation, though, we, we went through a period in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, particularly when the men went off to war in, in the Second World War and all the firearms and men went away who, who were doing most of the hunting. Deer numbers got out of control. You know that a deer herd can double every three years if it's not harvested yet. So, you know, you, you take six years of men and firearms and ammunition out of the system and our deer herds quadrupled. Uh, and through the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. we had massive deer abundance issues, not too dissimilar to where we're heading right now. And so a lot of our legislation, which is based in the Wildlife Act of 1953 or, or the Wild Animal Control Act of 1970s, they're based around a time where, where the, the legislative perception of these game animals was more as a pest. But in recent times, the that heritage and that cultural connection that I just discussed has started to influence our parliament and our legislation and our planning processes. And we've actually got some smart politicians now who are thinking about the value proposition of game animals, not just the consequence proposition of game animals. And so there is more balance Mm. coming into our planning frameworks, which is, you know, we're losing the terms of eradication, elimination, control and pest to things like Mm. effective deer management. And that's what it's about. It's about gaining back the balance that's got out of whack because we've had a commercial, a cultural, social, biological overlay uh, that's human-focused. You know, we've got to get back to nature, looking after nature, because as I said before, the habitat is the foundation upon which everything is built. And if we don't look after the habitat, um, we'll have nothing. And, and there's a lesson for humans on planet Earth right, right. here too, bro. Yeah, 100%. It, you know, it, it's, it, it's obviously 
heartening to hear about, as you say, the terms of arts changing. People talking in, in the terms of management uh, and game species and it being a, a resource. Cam, in your opinion, do you think hunters, you say that New Zealand right now is potentially moving towards a deer abundance issue again. Do you th- give give a sort of lay of the land to folks that may not sort of are very much familiar with the New Zealand system in which you've got hunters that are recreational hunters. You've also got hunters that volunteer like you guys work in the Seeker Foundation. I want to get to that a little bit later. But then you've also got culling and you've got that being done through government uh, mechanisms to reduce populations. And they're all synergistically work together. You, 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 you know, hunters cannot take care of the population issues that are existing currently in New Zealand or Australia. Maybe they can, maybe you have a differing opinion, um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. So, so the New Zealand hunting scene is very complex. Uh, we, we have about 70 odd thousand recreational hunters that are shooting about 150,000 deer a year in New Zealand. Um, we have had for the last 50 years a commercial venison industry harvesting wild deer with helicopters. Uh, and they've taken average about 20,000 animals a year, but they tend to be a boom and bust commercial um, process that relies on export commodity prices and exchange rates. Uh, currency exchange rates. So when currency exchange rates and commodity prices are poor from a New Zealand export perspective, the commercial harvest is very low and we tend to go through boom-bust cycles with the commercial harvest. Where um, Hmm. the government gets concerned is there are some really, really high-value habitats in New Zealand that we don't want any introduced animals impacting because they they threaten really ancient species that are very sensitive to habitat change. And so the Department of Conservation has invested in government-funded culling and uh, elimination projects on a, on a number of different projects around the nation, but on a relatively small scale. And then there's what we're mm-hmm. doing in the Seeker Foundation, and it's replicated to a degree in the Wapiti Foundation in Fiordland. Uh, and... and Basically, um, what the Wapiti Foundation is doing in Fjordland is seeking that balance that we talked about, where the Wapiti herd is at a, yep. low, a low density of very high quality animals that isn't impacting that magnificent landscape of Fjordland. Uh, and hunter funding is paying for that management. It's very controlled. It uses commercial harvest as a tool, but it's not open slather. So the operators that um, are involved in that uh, harvesting operation. Uh, sometimes they get a subsidy when international commodity prices or exchange rates are unfavourable. The hunting community pays them a subsidy per deer to make sure we hit the targets to keep the animal density mm-hmm. at the appropriate level. In the Kaimanoas, we're dealing with a little wee forest deer called a seeker deer from Asia. Uh, this is the central North Island. Um, they have very limited commercial value because the carcasses are like 20, 25 kilos as opposed to you know, some of the wapiti carcasses, 100 kilos. So you know, that's a very mm-hmm. different commercial mm-hmm. proposition. Uh, and so we've, we've, in recognising that the habitat's really important and there is damage and that's shown up not only in the forests but in the quality of the deer, that we need to get the abundance issue and the density issue down. And as a private... Um, 
group of hunters who care about the Central North Island high country. We're working together with different entities and agencies to try and reduce the impact that Seagadera are having. So, you know, that's a complex spectrum of different um, involvement in the deer management space. But to say that there sure. were synergies between them all would be a bit of a long bow to draw. Um, often there isn't any synergy. Well, they're not synergies in terms of like them interacting, but rather you've got these various outlets for management of deer. You've got your recreational, yes. you've got your commercial, you've got your culling. Yes. They, they all have a role to play is what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I you're absolutely I don't think, right. And, and I think a lot of hunters that are, yeah. Unfortunately, they haven't been as well coordinators as they could be. Um, the Wapiti right, Foundation right. and the Fjord and Wapiti area would be the one place in New Zealand where it is coordinated in a really good outcome. Um, and that is a combination of the Department of Conservation, the Fuel and Wapiti Foundation, and the Wild Animal Recovery Helicopter Operators all working together, heading in the same direction. And that's the model um, that New Zealand needs to pursue with vigour. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody competing uh, uh, for their own space. You know, the WARO, the Wild Animal Recovery Operation industry, the helicopter industry, they like big and they like velvet. And so they're flying around in the springtime shooting great big velvet stags <laughs> off the tops because that maximizes their commercial return. Come the rut, yep. those deer are all gone. And when they're shooting big velvet stags on the tops, yep. mum's in maternity dropping another fawn. You know, so, so there are some yep. real ineffective, inefficient, poor coordination issues going on amongst that spectrum of players in the game animal management space, yeah? So, Cam, just for everyone's edification, the Wapiti Foundation is there's a actually a quite magnificent elk herd in the South Island of New Zealand. It's very difficult to draw a hunt, I believe, in that. There's a big draw allotments, right? Well, there's about fifteen or 1,600 hunters go into the ballot every year for about five, four or 500 opportunities. So, yeah, more people miss out than people... Um, get lucky, uh, probably at a ratio of about um, out of every three hunters who put in for the ballot, two of them miss out. But you know, that makes that yep, opportunity yep. highly sought after and, and highly lucrative, and that generates funds to do very effective management, i.e. when commodity prices absolutely, are low absolutely. and uh, helicopters aren't out there wanging deer over, um, hunters are able to pay a subsidy to the operators who are involved to actually make sure the harvest is appropriate. Yep. Well, let's talk about increasing opportunity. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Um, You run the Seeker Foundation. We're going to get into a little bit more about what that is, but you run the Seeker Foundation, right? Well, I'm the secretary. There's a whole lot of us who run it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what I meant. Um, have you ever had anybody come from the United States and volunteer their services for the Seeker Foundation? Um, no, no. Um, it's hard enough to get even Kiwi hunters. And the reason what I'm getting to here, yeah, what I'm getting to here is, and I want people on this podcast, we have a pretty big reach, we have a pretty big audience in the United States, is that, and, and this is where I want to dive in a little deeper about what you guys do, but... There is an opportunity for American hunters, if they chose to, 
come to help the Seeker Foundation with some deer management work, go up a beautiful valley in New Zealand, do some great restoration work, some great conservation work, and have a chance to hunt Seeker deer. Right or wrong? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're all volunteers and, and our capability and our ability to host large numbers of people is limited, but we do have a, a lot of volunteers who, who love to tag along and those people get involved in conservation activities and have the opportunity to shoot seeker deer. Absolutely. Yep, that, that's a fair comment, a fair statement. And that is public land and there's no tag you don't need to buy a tag. You don't need to buy a license. You just need to help out the Seeker Foundation. Yep, True? pretty much. And, and we encourage people to shoot females because we've got too many deer. And we would rather have fewer deer that are doing really well in really productive habitat than a whole lot of skinny deer that are killing the place. So, yep, that's right. Knock your socks off, bro. So essentially, an American could go over there and knock his socks off, can shoot five, six, whatever females they want. And if they, by chance, happen to come across a good stag, they could take that deer as well. And lo and behold, they have a seeker for, you know, to say that they've hunted in New Zealand for seeker. Again, emphasizing again, helping you at the Seeker Foundation. Yep. Yeah, although it's not that easy. You know, you lose a lot of skin and a lot of gravy chasing seeker deer. Um, so make sure you're fit when you come over here and make sure those thigh muscles are, are all rock solid and um, don't expect to shoot them from the hut. You're going to have to work for them. Okay, so give us a little bit of an insight because, again, I've set you up really perfectly here because this is what I really wanted to get into the meat of is I want you to give, a, uh, number one, let's start with what the Seeker Foundation is and what you guys do. I think we've given a little bit of context, but let's just reaffirm that. And then what does an exercise in habitat restoration look like with the Seeker Foundation? All right, so we're a group of hunters who are very passionate about the scenes from Northern High Country. Um, we've, we've hunted Seeker deer most of our lives, all of us. Um, and we could see that there was a need uh, politically, socially, culturally, biologically to actually do better in the Kaimanawas. Um, so we've set up a foundation in 2015 to promote a vision of a healthy seeker herd thriving in resilient natural habitats that are valued by stakeholders. So there's three components to that, that the herd is healthy, that the habitat is healthy and that the stakeholders who are looking in from the outside, whether they be government agencies or um, Māori or hunters or businesses or people concerned about conservation, can actually hand on heart say, yeah, these people do genuinely care about this place and are doing a good job, you know. So it's not a small task where we do have 700 members, but actually the committee and the project management team is probably limited to more like about 20 of us um, and we use a lot of volunteers that's true but we're out in the Kaimanawas collecting information how well are the deer doing what's the quality of the habitat what's the trajectory of these forests so these forests got a future or these forests gonna die out because of deer browse mm -hmm. but also um, doing predator management to help protect those special native species our blue mountain duck um, our kaka, our kiwi, 
uh, kakar is a large forest parrot. Um, bats, we have ancient bats that are impacted by stoats and rats. So we are out in the forest doing predator management as part of our putting back to the place, the landscape. But also we've got a system where our members are able to pathway surplus meat um, to food banks for families that are struggling with the cost of living and through COVID and difficult times, you know. So for us, it's about people and planet, uh, a connection to place that drives um, a a sense of responsibility and obligation to people and planet and trying to do that on a values proposition that we're not about power, ego and money. So many humans in the capitalist system are driven by power, ego and money. And they think they have all these rights and all these entitlements, but actually before our rights and entitlements can um, be, or before we can clip the ticket on our so-called rights and entitlements, we actually have obligations and responsibilities to do what's right to the planet, to the the forests we hunt in and to our communities. So the, the Seeker Foundation is largely a values proposition around looking after things and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Trying to shift the culture. There's a lot of hunters in New Zealand who think it's just their right to do whatever they like, whenever they like, however they like. Uh, they have no sense of responsibility. It's just an entitled sense of right uh, based around decades mm-hmm. of you know, hunters doing whatever they want. Actually, that's not the case. Um, yeah. we, we need to do what's right. So in everything we do as a foundation – it's about giving back and about responsibility and obligation and trying to change a culture that is more nurturing rather than we we can't just all be consumers. Uh, Too many hunters are just simply end use consumers of venison and they have no sense of responsibility to do the right thing. Hey, maybe I shouldn't just target big antlered stags because I only want to eat antlers. Maybe I should target a few, females to keep numbers in check to protect the habitat which is the foundation upon which everything sits not only our hunting but all our native species our native ecology and so you know there's a real there's a real shift in culture when you start helping people understand that actually our responsibilities and obligations come first and so when we're fixing a hut in the kaimanas for the public to use whether they be hunters or trampers or fishermen um we do that because it's it's the right thing to do. It provides a comfortable base for our teams to stay in the mountains and then run a trap line up one of the rivers and then, hey, go for a hunt and shoot a fat seeker deer to take home to put on the fam- family dinner table to share with friends. You know, it, it's a package, Robbie. It's a it's a whole package. Um, th- there's so much embodied mm-hmm. in a brand that is... What is it? What does the running the trap line look like, look like Cam? For those that may not have any idea what you're talking about, when you say you're going to go to this hut, you're going to fix up the hut, uh, and then you may run a trap line. What does that look like for someone who just has no idea what that means? So New Zealand's developed a whole lot of funky trap designs to target stoats and rats and possums um, quite effectively. Um, And we run um, traps at 100-meter intervals all the way up different catchments. um, And... They take out stoats and rats and, and mice and, and other critters out of the system to help protect our native species. Our, our blue duck that lives on the rivers, the, the large 
red mountain parrot, the kaka, and our kiwi, they're just being devastated by stoke predation. And taking stoats out of the system makes a massive difference. Rats are a bit different because our beach forests go through masting events where rat densities can get to 20 per hectare. So, you know, on a a 10,000 hectare Mm -hmm. um, piece of forest, you're talking millions of rats. That's a lot of rats. That's a bit harder proposition, (laughs) but we can take the top off the stoat population. So our our hunters are out, they're checking about 60 devices uh, in a day's checking, and and then they'll go for a morning hunt and an evening hunt, go back to the hut. Uh, We fly them in there, uh, sponsored helicopter trip, um, and and so it's about giving back and about participation and about that connection to place under the values of obligation responsibility to people and planet. Um, it, it's a different... What a way, story, Cam. It's a different way of thinking to... to what a freaking story, man. It is. And, and when we sit around the table at the Seeker Foundation Committee, I'm really proud... To, to sit with the people that share that vision and that ethos. Um, the integrity at the table is just unbelievable, you know? Well, I think just, just what you said, you know, giving back, number one, as a, a value-add proposition, the responsibility, like you're going into these places because it's your duty and it's and it's hunters doing it right it's it's the story of this as you said the ethos of hunters and that's what blood origins has been you know that's all we try to do is is essentially the package that you have just described the idea of values the idea of responsibility the idea of leaving it better than we found it so that our kids and our grandkids and people that aren't even hunters can enjoy this thing that we know exists here because, well, one, it doesn't, it's not in tip-top shape because of what we've done in the past. And yes, we may not have been a part of that as in the past, but it's our duty today to rectify it for the future. 100%, Robbie, 100%. Come on, that's, that's what it a great story. And, you know, that's, that's just what Indigenous cultures live and breathe every day, you know. And so growing up in provincial New Zealand I've had a lot to do with the Māori culture and I have a very strong connection to Te Ao Māori, the Māori worldview um, and that is what I just described to you is actually um, the Māori worldview and, and that indigenous cultures all around the world whether they be Aborigines in Australia or, or First Nation peoples in North America that's actually their genuine belief system and, and I think as you know, my family are colonists on this land. My kids have been here for seven generations, but, um, you know, I still connect back to that ethos that we have to discharge our obligations and responsibilities to future generations by leaving the place better than we found it. That's the, that's the nub of Māori culture and Indigenous cultures all around the world. Cam, do you think in the hunting culture that is New Zealand today, do you think that that ethos is growing? That's a very good question. Um, I I see it in a lot of people. Um, you know, Roy Sloan and his team at the Wapiti Foundation, Snow, I know you've interviewed Snow from the Tar Foundation, uh, us in the Seeker Foundation, Many, many Māori communities um, 
absolutely that ethos is is present, but to say it was even a majority view still would not be a true statement. Unfortunately, we've got a culture change to try and facilitate, uh, but it takes a generation or two to change a culture, and we're on that journey. Um, yes, sir. So all we can control is what we do and what we put out there, and so you'll see very deliberate communications through our Facebook posts and on our website, um, connection to people like Aldo Leopold who thought very deeply about all the stuff back in the sort of 20s and 30s um, American um, ecosystems. You know, there's a lot of learning from from that stuff. Um, so we're just pushing that ethos, mm -hmm. connecting with our, our Māori uh, partners, the Crown, as treaty partners um, with the Crown, Māori have a really important place in landscape and, and conservation management in New Zealand. And so the Seeker Foundation works very, very closely with local Māori who hold mana whenua. Mana is the sort of the status and the prestige and the, uh, and the whenua is the land. So they hold the, they hold the obligation basically on the landscape. So we're trying to emulate that, that Māori worldview, that indigenous worldview towards places that matter, places that are still not turned into farms or, or something else. You know, these mm -hmm. are largely still mm -hmm. high country natural systems, albeit with lots of pests. Well, I love, I just love the idea and, and the reason I harped on it. I just love the idea. And I think it's something that people would be curious to do is that there's almost like this grander adventure to be had. Hey, you want to go hunt in New Zealand? Why don't you go volunteer your services for three days at the Seeker Foundation? They'll helicopter you into a backcountry hut and you'll see amazing New Zealand landscape. You get to hunt in the morning, you get to hunt in the evening. Yes, it may not be for quote-unquote trophies, but who knows, because it's still hunting. Whilst at the same time, you're investing in a conservation and restoration project that matters to the people of New Zealand and the native fauna of New Zealand and the native flora of New Zealand. What a freaking adventure, man. You should be selling that, Camp Speedy. Yeah, well, with the limited funds we've got, maybe we should do that because it's, um, it's expensive work. <laughs> and uh, we do it on the smell of an oily rag. It's, it's pretty lean, bro. <laughs> well, look, I, um, as I said, it's been, it's, it, I, I love the story, Cam. I really love the story. And I promise you now that we'll tell it. I'm going to tell it somehow. I don't, I, I've, I've, it's already rattling in the back of my brain. When we do come to New Zealand, um, you'll probably be the first port of call. You may be the second port of call. Snow Houston said, you better come see me first and let me take you up to the tar hut and show you some tar that you fought so valiantly for. I said, no problems. I'll do that. But that's a, it's a phenomenal story, Cam. It's yeah. Just, and that, that, that ethos, and it's, it's that, a story that the world needs to hear. That ethos that Snow has, um, he's a legend because he, he shares that, that fire in his heart eh, for the Southern Alps. And, and he's as, he's as concerned about the Southern Alps as he is about the tar. It's not just all about the hunting. You know, we have a spiritual and cultural connection to these places as hunters. That's for me. That's what hunting is. It's a connection, being a part of the ecosystem, being the new apex predator in that forest herbivore mm -hmm. predator system, seeking the balance. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. that, that's as an ecologist mm-hmm. and as a hunter, for me, that's that's what this work is about. Is about a connection, and that connection is deeply important. It's deeply profound. It actually changes how you view the world. Cam, if anybody wants to find some more information about the Seeker Foundation, where can they find that information? We've got a um, a pretty comprehensive website, www.seekerfoundation.co.nz. There's a lot of material on there, um, videos, photo galleries, project reports. Um, yep, um, lots and lots of stuff about what we do and how to get in touch with us and how to donate to the cause because um, we we have very, very limited funding, but we have some very grateful, generous sponsors that support us. Um, and if people are on our website and have a chance to see our sponsors and support our sponsors, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Yeah, and you've got an Instagram Seeker Foundation. Go check them out. You can see a bunch of stuff on there. You can see some of the traps. You can see... As I was rightfully corrected, the FIO. Did I say it right? Correct. FIO? Yep, that's it. Feel nice. is Marty for the whistle. Blue duck. Yeah, so um, feel feel is to whistle. The whistling duck, the and whistling so blue whistle, duck, right? These guys whistle, yep. Um, yeah, check them out. Um, Cam, an absolute pleasure, absolute honor, my friend. Um, it's been too long, and we'll certainly do this again in a much shorter time frame. Uh, because I know lots of things happen in New Zealand that uh, we want to keep our fingers on the pulse on. So please reach out to us if we can do anything for you at any time, okay? Sweet ass. Thanks, Robbie. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.